They said it couldn't be done. Independence was impossible. Through fear-mongering and other forms of negative rhetoric, they made you give up on your dreams. Well now, it's time. To prove them all wrong. It's time to blow up the system and change the world. And we've got the man who did it. Broadcasting from studios in Atlanta, Georgia, this is Outliers. Here's your host, visionary and founder of Fedora Outlier LLC, Vashawn Jones. All right, so we are back. My name is Vashawn Jones. Mic check, mic check, one, two, one, two. And we are here with a legend, a legend in her own right. Um, The magnificent, the wonderful, the one and only Chanel Patrice Hancock. Miss Hancock, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Vashon. And yourself? I am better than excellent. And I am super excited to do this interview with you. Uh, we've been kind of following each other inadvertently for a while. I've seen your stuff online. And um, I would imagine you've seen some things that, you know, maybe myself or Fedora has done and um, I'm great to be able to have this time with you and to be able to share it with the world. So speaking of sharing, if you could tell us just a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, how you lost your sight and, you know, just anything that you think the world would want to know. Well, first of all, Vashon, thank you so much for having me on your show. I have been following you for quite some time. I believe <laughs> since like 2013. Wow. Um, um, with your materials on iOS and and how to you know use it properly in your books, and I was like, wow, this cat is pretty terrific. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be. Um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I was born June 1st, 1977, to a teenage mom, um, and I was born one pound 13 ounces, mm. and um, I was in an incubator for five months. Okay. So when my mom took me home, I could fit in the palm of her hand. That's how tiny I was, wow. and it wasn't until probably about 12, 18 months later, um, they found out I couldn't see. Um, because I actually crawled into a corner of a table and uh, put a dent in my head. Wow. And so my mom um, took me to Will's Eye Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, like in 1980, 81. And I had two surgeries back-to-back, just the sight that I have in my left eye. And um, they removed the cataracts from both eyes, but because my... um, other eye did not develop properly. I never regained any vision in that eye. I pretty much call that my pirate eye. Um, <laughs> but I, I pretty much was introduced to print um, at the age of four, large print, and my mom made sure everything was big. So I had big coloring books, big crayons, mm. um, big TVs. Um, and I have a condition called retinopathy of prematurity. Um, Right now, I can see 14 over 14, three feet in front of me. I can still see things clearly, like bigger objects clearly. I just can't see small details, so I can't read, like, the newspaper anymore. But I can read the headline of a newspaper. 
okay. because the print's big enough for me to see. I can still see cars and people and, and make out people clearly. I just can't see small details out of my left eye. Um, I'm actually not permitted to use my left eye to read at all um, mm. because of eye strain, eye strain reasons. And um, so I grew up um, visually impaired all my life. Um, I was introduced to Braille at age eight by a Jewish um, lady named Renee Shaw, which we're still in contact today, actually. And, um, uh, but because of me being visually impaired, the system wanted you to use your vision until it was gone, pretty much. And so I used some Braille in school, but not a lot. So my reading wasn't as proficient as it is today. Um, I went to like 10 different schools before I hit the eighth grade. And I lived in like, oh, several different states. I lived in Jersey for seven years. I lived in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Atlanta, Georgia, Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, I've lived in Warren, Ohio, Toledo, Columbus, certain parts of Cleveland. <laughs> and now I'm living in Akron. So, I mean, um, yeah. So usually much. when people say that they're a military child and they've traveled all over, but was that just oh, based no. on financial circumstances and your mom trying to figure it out or what well, was Well well, yeah, it was it was based off of some of that. I mean, we came from a military family because my grandfather, God bless him. He um, served in World War II in Korea, wow. along with his brothers, and my uncle served in Nam, and uh, my other cousin, he served in Operation Iraqi Freedom, and uh, I mean, we served in every war since World War II, and we still have, like, the fourth generation of of Daniels serving in uh, the armed forces as we speak, so... You know, I'm very proud of that. Yet my mom <laughs> moved around a lot, and you know, I had to learn how to adapt to different places and people very quickly. And um, she uh, passed away 18 years ago mm. due to a long bout with um, endocarditis. Um, and you know, she was the only parent I had. So I was an only child by her, and I didn't know my biological father very well. So um, I pretty much uh, graduated two weeks after high school, two weeks after my mom passed away. Okay. And so then I spent a year trying to figure out what I wanted to do um, with the rest of my life, you know, because my best friend had just died. Right. And so, so I went to Walt Disney World with my godmother and her husband at the time and kids. And that was one of the things on my bucket list I wanted to do. And um, I had a good time, got to meet Mickey Mouse. Oh, my God. You know, 23 <laughs> years old at the time. Like, oh, my God, I got to meet Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Mickey Mouse is real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So right I got I, the picture. So, yeah. So people, you know, was like, Wow. She actually, I mean, you know, you don't realize what your dreams can manifest to until it happens. And right. for me at the time, I was like, 
I was like five again, like in the span of two minutes. <laughs> you know, and I didn't care. I had to stand in line for two hours to meet the mouse, but I did. And I, I enjoyed every moment of it. And right. um, I went and enrolled at Cuyahoga Community College um, in the fall of um, 2000. And I spent two and a half years there um, where, you know, I reconnected with some of my elementary um, friends from elementary school and I began to assert myself in the disability services department where I mentored people and you know because you know you have people coming in with different kinds of disabilities not just blindness and and you know they really don't know what direction to go into and I realized you know, I enjoy, you know, giving back to people mm-hmm. and helping people and advising people and so forth. And I did that and I did a couple of tech seminars where, you know, people, teachers and getting their master's degree in special education mm-hmm. could see how, you know, a blind person operates, you know, a, a closed caption television or a scanning device to scan software at the time it was the Criswell, you know, 3000, but it was the actual scanner. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, and so, um, you know, I, I, I did that. And I mean, I, I've had my rough bumps with, you know, voc rehab. Mm -hmm. And so let's, uh, let's back up a bit before you go into mm -hmm. voc rehab, because at this point you're grown and you're kind of understanding yourself and, and navigating that whole world. But did you realize how, um, unique you were to have a large screen television even back then? Um, yeah, I mean, to me, because my mom raised me to be, just like everybody else, it didn't matter that I had a visual impairment. As a matter of fact, I wasn't allowed to even use my disability as an excuse for anything. Wow. You know, if if the if the next sighted person can do it, so can I. <laughs> okay. You know, she she and because my mom did not have a, a high school education. Sure, her education was seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when I graduated from high school before two weeks before she died, she was so happy to know that her only child was doing something that she couldn't do herself. Right. And I mean, there were a lot of, you know, moments I had joined the track team and cheerleading squad and I had went to a swimming conference and did forensics, which is like drama. Mm-hmm. Um and and it covers like a different variety of, of of um categories like poetry and prose and you know speaking public speaking and so forth and so I was needed to go to Nashville, Tennessee and I had never been in Nashville before. But it was so cool, you know, because we got to go to the old Opry, Grand Old Opry and everything and it was great. And so I my mom was so happy about it. You know, her daughter's going to Nashville, Tennessee for for a, a conference mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. Know, to compete with other blind schools in in this forensics meet slash swim meet. And um, she went and, and spent like, I don't know, mad amount of money to make sure all my outfits and gave me money and, and whatnot. And I literally like uh, 
it was like the biggest thing to her. You know, my daughter is doing this. My and when I went to Washington in '97, mm-hmm. you know, for for close up, you know, she, that was a big thing. I mean, for me, it was a big thing because I was starting to get into politics, right? And, and find my way as a liberal and a Democrat. Mm-hmm. And a big Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton supporter, blah blah blah. <laughs> right, and right, um, right. and and so so it, me being you know the only black visually impaired person coming from my school at the time uh, and you you have like 20 other people in the state of ohio you know meeting with like the rep john glenn's representative i was asking all kinds of questions and stuff and they were like wow and i was like well you don't go to the nation's capital to ask three right. questions <laughs> you you go there because you want answers and i mean i was asking questions about don't ask don't tell and right. a whole bunch of different stuff and affirmative action and all that and people are like wow i was like well just because someone's visually impaired does not mean they're not educated and they're not well um informed about what's going on in the world mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and you know and I grew up during the Biggie and Tupac and <laughs> okay, you know all that type, all that type of you know because I'm 40 now, so it's like right, to me, right. it, it it back then it was just like well you know this is cool. <laughs> I mean it was just like something to me that oh well you know I'm doing this. I mean the only the only downside to it was I didn't get to meet President Clinton while I was there because he was in Mexico at the time. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. But 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 at that at that time it was like. You know, I'm doing something. I'm breaking a door down, you know. Right. But, I mean, I, when I look back on it, I realize what I've accomplished. But back then it was just like, This is really? what I'm doing. Right, right. Right, right, Now, right. this is going to determine whether we're going to be friends or enemies for the rest of our life. So we're about the same age. I was born in 76. Now, you mm-hmm. mentioned Biggie and Pac. Now, are you a Jay-Z fan? like all rap oh i knew he was gonna (laughs) (laughs) look at that i do well well, you know it's funny because i do like jay-z and i mean i'm not gonna lie on that i mean (laughs) i I grew up listening to like uh, mississippi mass choir and georgia mass choir and take six and the wine-ins and okay Okay. you know shirley caesar and all that and i and bb king and i just you know um, I mean, when I was in high school, I got introduced to the Beatles and Joni Mitchell and Doors, <laughs> and you know, it opened my music, um, my music briefcase, I could say, because okay. I I enjoyed the arts a great deal, and you know, my mother thought I was going to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, but that didn't that didn't come to fruition because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> after after a while, <laughs> it's like. Uh, I didn't went through too much school. I, I need a break. I know that's <laughs> right. So it's so, kind of crazy because now you're like perfectly poised to read the only part of publications that people deem um, worthy is the headline. So, you know, nobody reads the story. They just you read the sensational headline and they're like, right. uh, yeah, that's that's what's going on. Obama is now the president again, you know, for a third term. And, you know, they don't read the story. They just. Oh, that would be nice. You know. <laughs> All right. Cool. That would have been real nice. Yeah, exactly. And so now you're in college and you're, mm-hmm. you know, grown and you're feeling yourself what what's next 
Um, after graduating from um, Tri-C, I, I was accepted to Kent State University. I actually applied to three different schools, two out of state, as a matter of fact. I applied to Howard, mm-hmm. and I applied to Georgetown, mm-hmm. and this is for political science. And I actually got an interview to, you know, see if I can get in. And that's very hard. I mean, it's Ivy League's crying out loud. Mm-hmm. And at the time... At the time, I chose Kent because it was only 60 miles away from home. And God forbid something happened to my grandparents or something, I can get home quicker. Sure. And and it was a liberal school. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, this would be kind of cool. I mean, I went in there as a political science major. And in the span of a I changed my major like seven times. Um, and I wound up with a theater degree in theater studies, focusing on producing and acting. And uh, no minor because well I got my associate's degree in liberal arts so I didn't I didn't see what the point was mm-hmm. and um, I studied Spanish for four semesters I studied philosophy and logic and psychology sociology um, earth science and biology human bio and English communications and you know <laughs> All I, I po, 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 you know political science mm. and and comparative politics and and I said you know what I love politics but you know what I I can do a lot more with a theater degree than I could a political science degree because you know you can do much more than what people think you can. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I might as well do this, you know, because I can go into politics, I can go into journalism, I can go into business law, I can work for nonprofit organizations, etc. So I did that, and I got accepted into the Alpha Psi Omega uh, fraternity for the theater mm-hmm. side of things, and and you know, I was the only person in my. Um, class at the time that was visually impaired that was studying theater. I mean, we we had someone else that was disabled, but he was hard of hearing, and that was it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and and I was welcomed, and that was a great thing for me um, because it is very difficult to be accepted. Uh, You know, because people think that because you're visually impaired or you're blind that, you know, I mean, what can you really do? And you know, I mean, I had to prove myself, but academically speaking, you know, I created friends and we hung out and, and did different things. And, you know, I mean, I enjoyed going down to the rat still and having my pizza and, and whatever I was going to have and, mm-hmm. and do my, my week of karaoke and all that. And, you know, I did my first partying like the first year I was there and then the rest of it was me hitting the books for the majority of the time and I mean I, I got to see and experience you know working with you know people like Vincent Dowling who was the artistic director of the Abbey Theater in Ireland and the artistic director of the Great Lake Shakespeare Company back in the 70s and 80s and he helped discover like uh, Tom Hanks back in the day and mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. that and and he was an amazing person to work with I um, did a voiceover part. I was the Oracle in Shakespeare's, um, what, what play was it? Um, Winter's Tale. Mm. And so, so I did that and, and, you know, people were like, you make a great actress, you know, you'll make a great producer. And then I, I said, you know, I want to go out to LA. So I applied to the Los Angeles Film School shortly before I graduated and accepted 
and went into debt literally to accomplish another dream of mine, which was to go into filmmaking. And I was once again, the only person that was visually impaired in film school. And I'm going to be honest, it was hell. Because I, I didn't have support from <laughs> I didn't have support from Vote Rehab. I didn't have nothing. <laughs> you know, it was just me and my gut. And I said, you know what? Sometimes, you know, it's good to have support from Vote Rehab, but sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, because they, they have a different way of, of of seeing their consumers. And and I said, you know, to be honest, like I I said it's either it's me and it's God Mm -hmm. and God wanted me to go out there. And I did. And I graduated with acting, producing and screenwriting. And I mean, I got to meet some celebrities. (laughs) I got got to do, I got to do a lot of different things. And I mean, I met people like Diane Warren. Mm -hmm. I got to meet Nick Nolte and Lawrence Fishburne. And, you know, it was a lot of, a lot of fun. And I got, you know, I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I went to school with. And, you know, I lived right in the middle of Hollywood, and mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Now, I mean, do I regret taking the money out? Do I regret going in debt almost a hundred grand? No, because you only have one life. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. And you can't, you can't, you cannot take the debt with you when you leave here. <laughs> All you can do is sit there and say, "Guess what? I lived the best life I did, regardless of what I have to do to get there." And and I came back three years later mm-hmm. uh, to help my aunt take care of my grandparents because their health was not that great. And then I joined um, the National Federation of the Blind Cleveland chapter in Cleveland and okay. became vice president for two years. And and I went to my first convention in Orlando, Florida in um, July of uh, 2011. And I mean, I had heard about that. <laughs> that environment, you know, of like three thousand blind people. All but right. when I saw it firsthand, I'm like, "This is crazy." So back up for a minute. When did you mm-hmm. first like? Because I know what that world is like. I was born premature um, myself, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so you know, and I could see and and all that great stuff. And so, but right. you know, I couldn't couldn't really see, but never knew what perfect vision looked like. But for right. me, it was like I was in a world of um, a sighted world, but I'm visually impaired, but I can see, and nobody really knew what to do with me because it's almost like, you know, he can see, but there's something wrong with him. And you're like living between, you know, the sighted world and the visually impaired world. And I mean, it makes you different when you're hanging out with your girlfriends. You have to do things oh, yeah. different. I mean, you, I mean, so you get the point. When did you accept that this is, you know, your. Uh, unique ability or disability and really capture life and say, you know what? I am me. And this is what makes me great. Um, actually, to be honest, I figured that out at a very young age. Okay. Because my mom was very instrumental in making sure that I understood because I, I had went to the Ohio state school for the blind in Columbus, Ohio from 92 to 99. And when I started there, cause I went to public school prior to that, Many public schools, I might add. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so I, I learned that okay, part of me, I'm a part of the blind community in one way because I can't see on one side of my body, mm-hmm. and then because I could read large print at the time, you know, I didn't use braille. You know, I just had a magnifier and I had paper and pencil, 
and I had a talking book player. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't own my first computer until I was 24. So there were a lot of things that I did differently than my other visually impaired and and totally blind counterparts did. And it, it I was able to get certain jobs where I could work with alongside with the sighted community because I had more physical vision where I could read large print and they can just increase the print and I can just read by glancing down at the page and, and doing what I needed to do. And trust me, I miss those days. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, exactly. But, but, but at the same time, you know, yes, there was jealousy. And mm-hmm. I said to them, I said, you know what, if you want enough, work for it. I was like, this did not come easy for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I still have to explain that to people today. There are jobs that I've had that it would be difficult for someone that's total to do because the sighted world looks at it as if you got some sight, use it. Right. You know, and if you don't have any, well, I don't know what to do with you. You're a liability. And that, and that's not, that's not to say that that's right because it's not, but this is the world that we still live in. <laughs> and I, I come in the back of my head every day when I'm applying for a job with Chinese corporations and stuff to teach English, um, that you have to come with your A game and it better be a million percent <laughs> because otherwise, guess what? There's somebody else that has more experience, but there's something that you possess, some quality, some unique thing about you mm-hmm. that is going to get you in that door. And you have to use it, exploit it to the best of your abilities because otherwise, you know, they could be like, okay, well, thank you. Bye. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, and, and I look at it like this. I don't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. You know, no, it's not in my vocabulary unless I'm telling somebody, you know, myself, <laughs> but, <laughs> right, right. but, but I, I personally, you know, um, I guess, um, because I used to have epilepsy when I was little and mm-hmm. that was one of the side effects to my, um, being, um, premature born prematurely mm-hmm. so i had grandma seizures from the time i was like three and a half to like 13 and i wound up having seven of them back to back and i was in a coma for 18 hours and at the time my mother was 28 years old mm. 11 and i mean i remember what happened and everything i was it was a sunday night my mother went to go get my prescription still because i was taking phenobarbital and i was watching ghostbusters and Famous you know the, the 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 scene where uh, Sigourney Reaver is at the top of the the building, and there's like this big huge tornado or whatever, or a storm or whatever that's happening. Well, I was watching that scene, and I just started convulsing and and everything. My mom got and I could hear my mother, but I couldn't respond. And when I woke up. It was like one o'clock in the morning, 18 hours later, and Arsenio Hall was on, and I was in ICU talking about, can I finish watching? You know? <laughs> that was the first thing that I said when I came through, and and you know, it, it was it was hell, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not not to mention, sometime prior to that, I had um, lost the capability to move my body. I had a temporary paralysis episode happen to me for a couple months, where I could not move. Like mm. I had got out the bed to go to the bathroom at seven o'clock in the morning. And I literally fell 
from the bed to the ground. And my mother came in and I said, I can't move. And they, until this day, they still don't know why it happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had tests and I was in the hospital for a while. I mean, it was so bad that uh, having to crawl to the front door, get to, to open the door and go across the hallway to mm-hmm. our next door neighbor because my mother was downstairs. We were at the top of the apartment building, the wow. top floor. And I couldn't, you know, and we, that's when the, my mom knew. It, it was bad. And one day, miraculously, I was in the hospital. It was a Sunday morning. I don't even remember the date, okay, but I remember certain mm-hmm. things. And so so I, I got up out of the bed, and I started walking. And the doctors, until this day, <laughs> still don't understand how the hell. I was like, you know what that was? That was a gift from God. Right. God did not want me to be paralyzed in a wheelchair. And they told my mother. Uh, they gave me diagnosis of being dead and in the ground by the time I was 14 and then uh, totally blind and in a wheelchair by the time I was 13. 13 and 14 came and went, and I'm still here. Amazing. And I'm not, told, I, I'm not totally blind. And <laughs> I, you know, I have dead. to tell, <laughs> you know, I mean, yes, I've lost some of my vision as far as being able to see details, right? find details. But the bigger picture, I can still see. I mean, like I'm tell you right now in my room. I have like a salmon pink color wall, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, mo- most people can't tell you that. You know, <laughs> if if you know and and I said, you know, I I've, I've gone through a lot in my life, a lot of uh things that you know, I wouldn't want anybody to go through. Mm-hmm. But I think it's made me a stronger human being and more compassionate for other people. And I'm, I'm very much a people person. So, you know, yeah. when I see people in Russia suffering or people in other countries suffering, it just makes me think like, well, you know what? I'm a very lucky woman to be living where I'm living, regardless of what obstacles I've had to overcome. Mm-hmm. I would still have obstacles to overcome regardless of how old I get. And, you know, there's always improvement for growth. And... You know, I'm willing to grow and meet different people and see the world through a different set of eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I've had people, whether they're recited, blind, whatever, say, wow, you've done more in your, your short <laughs> amount of time than anyone I've known in the years. I mean, I've done retail. I've been a switchboard operator. I volunteered my time putting food in, in, in boxes for the Ohio National Food Bank. I've done all kinds of stuff for, like, mm-hmm. the Diabetes Association and the Red Cross. And, I, you know, I've, I believe in giving back. I guess it's because of my military um, heritage. And even though I can't serve my country, I feel like I can of service oh yeah to someone yeah and it's funny you mentioned that because you know being able to have traveled when you were younger um, being exposed to different surroundings and having to adapt having you know the people in your life to tell you that you know for like my mom would say a handicap is only in the mind meaning son you can do whatever it is that you want to do um You know, and all of that kind of helped shape your determination as well as the illness that you went through. And, you know, you was able to thank God that you're able to walk now. I think that a lot of times as 
people with disabilities, we may not get that. We may get more pity and more, you know, people, they tuck their children away and don't expose them to anything. And then, I mean, they have to grow up and they have nothing to, you know, guide their life by except for what you've told and showed them down through the years. And as you know, the world doesn't, pity you you know you still have to pay your rent and your electric just like everybody else oh yeah and you were kind of taught that early on versus someone who is sheltered you know what was your why what kept you pushing and going and moving and trying different things to get to the place where you're at now a lot of it was was that you know i had people tell me i mean i'm i'll be the first to admit that you know, I've had na- haters and naysayers. Oh, you can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, screw you. Who who are you? Mm-hmm. You're no one important. By the way, um, you know, I mean, I think a lot of it is because people told them that they couldn't do something. So they think it's okay to tell other people the same thing because they didn't have anyone positive in their life. Yeah. And I, I guess my, my big why was... I, I actually asked myself, why not? Why can't I do this? I mean, hell, this is achievable. I mean, I know I have to work harder than everybody else, but why can't I do it? I'm a black woman. I'm I'm educated. I'm not stu- I mean, but I will say, I have had, whether it was black, whether it was white, say to me, you can't do this. Oh, why not? You uh, Well, I actually had someone tell me once I was going to be working in a workshop. <laughs> and then I wasn't going to go to college and then I wasn't college material. And I looked at them and said, who are you? Mm-hmm. I will not work in a workshop. I am college material. And guess what? This isn't Jim Crow. All right. You know, and, and I'm an American citizen, you know, okay. Coin the term African American. Okay. We're Americans. We might come from African descent, but we're not from Africa. We're born in the United States of America. And I look at it in that regard. We are black, and we have a lot to overcome, whether you're able-bodied or whether you have a disability. And it's ten times as hard when you have a disability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because even your own people look at you a certain way because they don't know how to deal. Unless they've had someone in their family where they've had to to deal with something similar. But other than that, no. Hmm. Unless they put their feet in your shoes and walk a mile in your shoes and try to live the life that you live for like an hour, they would not be able <laughs> to really understand that. And And I don't blame them for it because it's not their fault. Yeah, yeah. And it's not their yeah, journey. It, it's not their walk. So well, right, understood. Exactly. it's like the O&M instructor right. that puts on the sleep shade and say, watch, I can do it. I'm like, yeah, you can do it for this one particular time. But when you have to live life under sleep shades for the rest of your life, it's a whole different. It's an emotional feeling as right. well as a intrinsic feeling of, you know, just having sleep shades on and being able to do it one time by example you know, I get right. more from the blind person that's blind and doesn't have to worry about sleep shades. They cross the street every day versus right. you telling me, oh, I'm going to put these on and I'm going to help you across and, you know, that whole thing. So, yeah, I get it. Right, right, right. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I have a guide dog now. And, mm-hmm. like, for from the time I was 16 to 36, I used a cane. 
And I mean, because for fun, I didn't need one, you know, but I, you know, I did it. And my mom, when she, before she died, she made me promise her that I would continue to use my cane because she was concerned about my safety. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've, I've had people laugh at me because of that. And I'm like, no, my mother cared about my safety and my sanity and my well-being. And if I was going to be able to adjust in this cold, cruel world that we have to live in every day. Oh, yeah. And I, and I truly do believe she would be extremely proud of me because of what I've accomplished in such a short amount of time. Now, no, I've not won an Oscar. I've not won a Nobel Peace Prize yet. <laughs> you know, but but at the but at the end of the day, I haven't won a Pulitzer yet. Mm-hmm. But I said, you know, I look at it like you only got one life, mm-hmm. and so you have to live it the best way you know how, regardless of if people like you, because no, not everyone's going to. I mean, I know that for a fact. You know, there. You have to find what's deep inside of you as that individual. Well, what is it that I want out of my life? I mean, because it's my life. It's not anybody else. Someone can tell you stuff and try to control the situation, but they're not living your life. They don't know how you feel. They only know what you tell them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of that, you know, I've come to understand I have people in my life right now where, you know, I tell them, guess what? You're not living my life. You might think that what I'm doing right now is crazy, but I I decided to learn. Mm. And that's the biggest thing you spoke about VR. And I know you are um, an NFB member and I know you know how to advocate. And that's the thing that people don't get is that it's your life. VR can't tell you, well, No, we don't think that. Well, you know, if you could think a different way, then you probably wouldn't be um, a VR counselor burdened with policies, protocols and procedures. You would probably be an entrepreneur like what I want to be or a singer or a dancer. You can't tell me what it is that I want to do, especially if you haven't done it. And that's anyone's listening to thousands of people that do if you're disabled and somebody is telling you what you can't do myself and chanel is here to tell you that you can do whatever the hell you want to do and it may take a little bit longer it may take more um work it may take more um intensity but you definitely can do it um so talk to us chanel about the NFB, you come in, it's 3,000 people, you hear all the, you know, all the stories, and we've all heard them, well, we just get together and we drink, or we get together and we party, or we get together and, you know, do other stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and that's all true, but once you actually get in that room with 3,000 blind people, what is what was that like for you, and what is it like now? Um, well, I've been to four conventions for which I used roommates. I had roommates because it's expensive. Oh yeah. People don't real people don't realize just a room by itself is about five hundred dollars for the week. Mm-hmm. Just with you and one other person. Okay. Then you have probably between fifty to four hundred dollars for a round trip plane ticket. Mm-hmm. Then you have to worry about your transportation down there. What I tell people is if you're going to do that, if you're going to use transportation, have your door-to-door transportation transferred down to um, 
access lengths, which is what, what it is in Florida. Mm-hmm. And it's like 4 to $7, depending on how far you go. So mm-hmm. from the airport to the hotel, it was like 4 bucks. So what I did was uh, I usually uh, would transfer my stuff down there. And round trip, it would only I only spent 8 bucks, you know. And I didn't mind that because that was a hell of a lot cheaper than paying $65 for a shuttle. Right. So, and everybody's like, man, I should do that next time. And then I've even become more smarter with it where I actually go to Walmart when I get down there and I buy food for breakfast and lunch and then I'll eat dinner out Mm -hmm. because it saves you so much money. And, but I will say this, I, my first year, I was still green about the NFB. I mean, I was, I was a part of the NFB as a student at camp for three years, but Nobody really explained much to me. So, you know, after college, I hadn't dealt with the NFB for like five years until I came back to Ohio. And um, I turned around and, uh, you know, I had I was voted in as the vice president. And, you know, I went and selling merchandise for the affiliate. And so at the time they were selling Louis Braille keychains for five dollars, and they were selling these tote bags. So I went, and they didn't tell me how much they were selling them for. Of course, they were selling them for a lower price. I went out there and sold them for a higher price, and they got more money. <laughs> okay. So so I sold probably about one hundred twenty-five dollars worth of merchandise in like three hours, and mm. then I went to another affiliate, another affiliate. I wasn't even involved with that state. <laughs> and they were selling shot glasses for $5 and, and seat covers for 10 uh-huh. And so um, I'm sure you know of um, the president of Indiana, um, Ron Brown. Yeah, Ron wife. Brown. That's my boy. Yeah. So, so I got to meet them for the first time. And I told them I knew, you know, J.W. Smith and everything and blah, blah, blah. And so, because I guess they were friends and they went to school together and whatever. So I turned around and... Um, I sold him a shot glass and his wife a seat cover. And this one business guy, he was cited. He pulled me aside and said, do you realize you're really good at this? There's not a lot of people that can go up to people and sell stuff mm-hmm. and convince them to buy it. Right. And then the next year, the next year, I went to Dallas because I had never been to Dallas, Texas. So I was happy. I was like, okay, I get to go <laughs> and I get to go see the Dallas house because I was a big Dallas fan back in the 80s. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I watched out. Well, I never got to go see the daggone house because there wasn't enough people to go. Oh, you mean the house, not the football team. I'm thinking Tony right, Bissett right. and the football team. Okay, you're talking <laughs> about the actual house. Okay, so you want like a supersized doll house. Okay, the Dallas house. Got you, got you. Okay. Right, right. Because there was a in the middle of nowhere. Okay. Come to find out, supposedly from what people were telling me, it was not as big as what I was like. No, because what they did was they they kind of went back on a dolly and panned out to make the house look bigger. Mm. <laughs> so that's why it looks as big as it did, but it was. You know, <laughs> it's oh, like little house okay, on the prairie, right. but blown up. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I turned around and um, he. So I decided, okay, I'm going to sell some candy. So I got a box of candy. And it was 48 pieces of candy inside of it. You know, it was, it was M&M's. Mm. So I sold, I sold $266 worth of M&M's in two days. Mm-hmm. And, and people were like, 
wow, you're good. And then the next year I sold another 266. And then in 2015, I sold another 266 in eight hours. Mm. And, and they were like, you're really good at this. And I mean, I didn't mind doing it because I was helping my affiliate, you know, blah, blah. I really didn't have nothing to do. I mean, after the fourth convention, it was like, okay, well, I, how many times can I sit here and listen to you talk about the financial report? <laughs> and you know what? That's okay. like the only meeting that I freaking sat in on this whole convention, aside from the ones I had to present at. And it was like, and I was there with uh, Denise Brown from uh, Philly. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, we always kind of hang out in some form of fashion. But that was the only meeting that I sat in on. I'm like, oh, God, I'm glad this this is over. This is over. Thank well, you. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. I actually streamed the convention this year because I, I haven't been to a convention in about two years. Mm. I mean, the the highlight of the conventions, though, is that you get to network with people. Man. And, I mean, I, I got to meet Rick Abono. And, of course, I met Mark Maurer. Um, like yeah. 14 years ago at my first state convention here in Ohio. And, you know, I, you know, actually the people who schooled me on the NFB was, you know, our current president, Richard Payne and um, Dr. J.W. Smith and William Turner, who's the president of um, the Cleveland chapter still. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, people like him and Barbara Pierce and, and Shelby Hendel and stuff, they all kind of schooled me on, you know, the NFB. Mm-hmm. And I take what I want to take from it and use it in my daily life. But trust me, like <laughs> I don't all get involved philosophy. in all the other <laughs> I don't get involved in all the other riff rap because that's what it is. And you know, I mean, um, you know, I'm friends with Neil Lewis and, and stuff like that and, and he's a great guy. Yeah. And I mean I've I've I mean, I think Coming out of that, I realized I had to educate myself. So I've been reading the Braille monitors since I started six years ago. And, you know, I try to look at the faults and the successes of all the presidents and look and say, well, this is not how I would want to run my chapter. And when I became mm-hmm. president last year of the Greater Summit County chapter in August of of 2016, you know, I was supported by the board. I was supported by Richard and everything. And, and it was, it was a lot of work. Um, you know, I've learned a lot about myself and what I can do. And, 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 you know, I do have a core group of people in my chapter. I mean, we only got 11 people in our chapter, but you know, they, they do the best that they know how, and I work on their strengths. And I take their weaknesses and we try to improve upon them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I give them the opportunity to be able to advocate for themselves. If they want to do a fundraiser, I let them do the fundraiser because I want to see if they're going to be able to go out there and communicate with people. And, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not a one woman show or a one man show. Right. It takes everybody. It takes a village in order for the, <laughs> the operation to get off the ground absolutely, and become successful. So, I mean, you know, I'm, we have our convention at the end of this month on uh, October 27th, 28th, and 29th at the um, Double Tree Hotel in Worthington, Ohio, which is a suburb of Columbus. And, um, you know, I'm actually going to be volunteering my time to do the Ricky Roundup. And okay. because that'll be the first time we ever had one of those at our, our convention to welcome new people and talk about the Federation and talk about, you know, Dr. Tinbrook and Dr. Jernigan and Dr. Maller and everybody who's come through the NFB. And I mean, and it's just, it's so amazing to 
see positive, you know, blind people be successful, but then I also look at the downside of it. There's a lot of blind people out there that mm-hmm. are not being represented, that are being told that they will never amount to anything, which is not true. Of course. You know, they if there's a will, there's a way. You have to believe in yourself. If anyone's going to believe in you, you have to believe in you first. All right. And, you know, and you have to be able to advocate for yourself. It might be difficult, but there's help out there. I mean, I've done things I never thought I would ever do single-handedly myself. And I've stepped out of my own comfort zone to do things that I would have never done. I mean, and you have to do those things because if you don't, nothing will ever materialize. (laughs) Nobody's going to do it for you. All right. So listen, we're about to wrap things up. Um, You almost gave them like the empowerment moment, you know, before I even asked. But what is there um, if you could talk to your younger self and say, Chanel, do this and you'll be successful out of the time that you've been on this earth and all the experiences that you've been through. um, What's one thing that you would tell your um, self to um, be able to help others? What's that one thing that is kind of like, you know, hey, if I would have known this earlier, I would be so much further along. That's a good question. Um, I think I would tell myself to continue to advocate for myself and believe in myself and not listen to the naysayers because at the end of the day, it's you and it's God. And if you have a dream go for it. I mean, I taught myself Russian, you know, that was my, one of my dreams. I got certified to teach myself, you know, um, English, you know, as a foreign language to teach people. And and now I'm going into that, you know, uh, field. And, you know, I mean, dreams are something that no one can take away from you. You know, you can lose everything you own. You can lose every dime you have, but that, does not mean you cannot start over. Mm. God and God is good, and you. I have a very strong belief in God. I'm non-denominational. I grew up Baptist, but I'm non-denominational. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so I feel personally, regardless of the setbacks, everyone makes mistakes. No one's perfect. Don't think that you have to fit into a certain group or fit into you know, a certain way of doing things because this is how this person does it. As long as you know who you are and you live your authentic life and your your authentic self, that's what matters. And that you're a good person and you treat people as they would want to be treated and you will get treated the way you want to be treated. But understand, don't ever allow anyone, no one, whether it's your family, your friends, your colleagues, acquaintances, degrade you. You are you. For a reason, God beat you to be the most empowering, unique you. And there's only one you. Absolutely. And so I would say be the best you that you can be, because that will make you a more happy a person in the end. I mean, if I knew of what I was capable of doing, I'm learning five different languages right now. Japanese, Italian, French, Egyptian, Arabic, and Dutch. Mm. I speak English, Spanish, and Russian. I have my certification in teaching English as a foreign language for seven months now. And yeah, I'm looking for jobs. Yes, it's hard. I'm getting rejected, but I'm not allowing it to stop me. I'm going to continue to grow. I'm even considering writing a cookbook 
because I like to cook too. So, mm. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I, like I told you before that, you know, I, I plan on, you know, running my own, you know, online English teaching business where I can do podcasts and YouTube videos to help people learn not only English, but whatever other languages they want to learn. And, you know, I still have dreams, other dreams too. And I'm only 40, you know, life sky is the limit. Hmm. And so, you know, I, I would say dream big and, and, and don't, don't stop. Okay, man, that is a lot. That is a lot. I tell people, well, if the sky is the limit, then why do we have footprints on the moon? So I don't feel that the sky is the limit anymore. I think we're we're past that. But the, the bottom line of the whole philosophy is that you can do whatever it is that you dream up. And you know that right. because everything that we have, somebody thought of it and created it and made it a reality. Right. And you have that same power um, to do it. So absolutely. Chanel, this has been amazing and I appreciate it. Now tell the people if they want to reach you in multiple languages, no, not in multiple languages, but if they want to reach you to reach out, get some of what you have and what you're willing to impart and share with them, how would they do it? What's the best way? Um, you can reach me via Facebook Chanel Patrice Hancock, C-H-E-N-E-L-L-E-P-A-R-I-C-E-H-A-N-C-O-C-K, at um, Facebook.com. Um, my email is filmchanel1977 at gmail.com, F-I-L-M-C-H-E-N-E-L-L-E-1977 at gmail. You can also reach me at filmchanel 77 F-I-L-M-C-H-E-N-E-L-L-E-7-7 at Skype.com. So, yeah, you can reach me in those three places. And I I don't get my Twitter because I'm not on Twitter that much. (laughs) All right. So. Cool. All right. Well, Chanel, this has been great. I am um, excited to be able to share a um, little snapshot of... Um, your life with the world. Thanks for sharing, and we will see you on the inside. Me at Film Chanel 77, F I L M C H E N E L L E 77 at Skype.com. Um, so, yeah, you can reach me in those three places. And I, I don't get my Twitter because I'm not on Twitter that much. <laughs> All right. So, so. cool. All right. Well, Chanel, this has been great. I am um, excited to be able to share a um, little snapshot of um, your life with the world. Thanks for sharing, and we will see you on the inside. You have been listening to Outliers, an official production of the Delivering Access Network. If you have a comment, question, or an idea for a program, email Vashon at excellence at fedoraoutlier.com. And visit fedoraoutlier.com if you'd like to purchase any of the products you hear advertised on the program. And for more great podcasts from the Delivering Access team, visit deliveringaccess.net. Check back again next time for more Outliers. Until then, thanks again for listening, and let's change the world together.